Well, thank you, Cedar Mill, for uh, letting me share with you uh, today. Uh, I want to start with uh, something that uh, in my book, Under an Open Heaven, a story I tell right at the beginning. It's a story of a man by the name of George Bell. Seven years ago, or a little bit more than that, on July 12, 2014, police found uh, George Bell's body in the living room of this New York City apartment. A stench in the <clears throat> air confirmed that, that he'd been dead really for some time. But the truth is, when you think about his life, as I'm going to share it briefly, uh, Bell had been dead for a long time. Waiting through the mess in his apartment, they discovered balled up decades of old lottery tickets, shopping lists, a few holiday cards. Uh, but sadly, there was no evidence that they could find of any significant events in his life. He lived uh, in the corners under the pale light of obscurity. Bell never went anywhere. In fact, he owned a Toyota that he bought new nine years earlier, but it only had 3,000 miles on it. His days were an endless loop of deadening predictability. Sometimes he would simply drive to a bed and bath uh, store and park in the parking lot where he simply existed. Tragically, as I read the story in the New York Times some years ago, it pointed out that George Bell is not an isolated case. The reality is, is that in many, many uh, inner cities, New York, Portland, and beyond, there live these walking dead, existing in confined spaces restricted by insecurity and fear and small imaginations. Now something has to be done, right? And the reality is something was. God sent uh, his son to change all of this. This is, I take what Jesus was saying in John 10, verse 10, when he said these words, For this have I come, that they might have life, and they might have it to the full. Now, when you think about it, it's what we celebrate this season of the year. This is today the fourth Sunday. Uh, before Christmas, which traditionally begins on the church calendar Advent. It's a season where we pause and we prepare and we reflect on the coming of Christ and we think about, in particular, why he came. How many will miss this? They will turn the season into thoughts about loving one another and peace and world peace and giving presents and sending cards with snowy scenes and cardinal birds, but scripture reframes and tells us that this is why we celebrate. We celebrate uh, because this God decided, you see, to come to earth. And he came, as he tells us here in this particular passage, he tells us that we might live and live to the fullest. That's why he came. But what I'd like to unpack here for just a little bit is why exactly he came what it means when it says that he came to give life and give it to the full. What I'd like to do is break it into four parts. And here's the first that really is quite obvious, nothing earth-shaking, but we need to be reminded Jesus came to give life that counters death. We have to remember we were created for life, but sin interrupted this and brought about death. Death is... One theologian put it this way, death is the tyrannical intrusion that came into the garden. 
And we lived with death ever since. And daily, the enemy works through people and structures to deaden our minds, to deaden our hearts, to deaden our spirits, make us listless, make us lifeless, make us passive and make us numb. So Jesus came to deal with this, to counteract this, to bring the life of heaven to the earthly garden of death. This was his declaration in John 10.10. Note, he didn't come to enhance, to improve, to add something that already is. He didn't say, I've come that you might have a better life. He didn't come to give us an updated version. Jesus came to actually offer what we don't have at all. He came to offer life. That is, he came to restore our life from the dead. Because we've all experienced death. That's what Romans says. We uh, have experienced death because the wages of sin is death. So Jesus came, and in this scene in John 10, which Donnie talked about last week, Jesus came to declare that he has come to undo the corruption. He's come to restore life as God intended. He's come to release us from an existence subject to the devil's condemnation and the devil's shame. And only Jesus can do this, for he alone possesses life. He is, well, think about the different passages. He's the author of life, Acts 3.15. He's the giver of life, Romans 8.2. He's the bread of life, John 6.35. He's the way, the truth, and the life, John 14, 6. He's the resurrection and the life, John eleven twenty five. 25. So it's no wonder when Jesus entered into this world, in the book of 1 John, verse 2, it says, the life appeared. That is, the alternative to death has come into this world. And the enemy, death, therefore, has been assaulted and defeated by Christ. And those who have chosen to embrace him are written in the book of life. So this is where it starts anyway. I'm, I'm thinking this is what Jesus meant. But I think there's more to it. And here's the second thing. Jesus came to give life that transcends the temporal. The life he came to give is not something linear or chronological. Jesus didn't come to extend the present He didn't come to give us more days. That's not what he's saying in John 10.10. He came to give us us life beyond time. It's a life that begins here, and then it's a life that extends into heaven. It's life that, as he tells us in other passages, is life eternal. Life that doesn't have an expiration date. John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his son that those in who believe in him will have eternal life. That is, a life that's radically different from a mortal life. A life where death no longer has power over it. It is, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, swallowed up. He came to give that kind of life, life that carries on into eternity. But here is the third thing, and I think this gets really to the heart of what Jesus is saying. He came to give a life that exceeds the ordinary. Hence the phrase, to the full, which tells us several things. 
tells us, first of all, something we all need to hear, that God is no tight-fisted, penny-pinching deity. Jesus didn't come to give us bare survival rations. But actually what Jesus was saying here is that in contrast to the thieves and the robbers and those around him, he has come to give us something extravagant. He has come to give us a life that flourishes. Miroslav Wolf writes these words that I think are worth pondering. He says, The flourishing of human beings in the presence of God is God's foremost concern. I don't know about you, but I have to think about that. God's foremost concern. But this is a theologian who has actually written a whole book about flourishment, who makes this statement that this is what God is concerned about the most. A life that is abundant. A life that speaks to something that's above, that's beyond. A life, one writer put it, a life at its scarcely imagined best. A life that is outrageous uh, as opposed to a George Bell life. Jesus came to give us this kind of joy, this kind of life, which is, you have to say, is a foretaste, really, of what will be our ongoing experience of heaven. I think of heaven as where we will flourish 24-7, though there's no 24-7, there's no time, there's just eternity. But life will just be an ongoing dynamic of flourishment. When Jesus came to offer this, it seems like he's saying, I'm coming to give you just a, a taste of what you'll experience for all of eternity. A place of feasting, friendship, joy, peace, purity. I mean, one could go on forever with the terms. One big eternal Thanksgiving party, only far better. A life without the marks of sin, without any evidence of decay, without any smell of death. A world absent of strip mines and strip malls and strip joints. A world that so eclipses the present that the first creation will not be remembered, Isaiah puts it that way in, in Isaiah 65. It will be a life that will be under one rule, God's. It will be dominated by one city, the city of God. And it will be where God lives and rules and allows us perfect access. A life with someone, think of it this way, a life with someone you can't get enough of. A lover you can't spend enough time with. And while its full realization is impossible on this side due to a fallen world, I think Jesus is saying, I've come to give you a taste, a foretaste, a preview. Think of this life maybe, I don't know, maybe think of it as a movie trailer. Jesus came that we might experience as much of the movie as we can now. If we choose to align ourselves with his will in the present, there is a peace we can experience, a peace that passes all understanding, a peace that, again, is just a taste of the future. We can rise above the ordinary, is what Jesus is saying. We can rise above the conventional, the average, the dull, the run of the mill, the predictable, stale monotony that you and I see in a lot of lives and sometimes see in our own. 
we can live a victorious life. We can live so much more expansively. I think this is what Jesus was saying. It reminds me of something Richard Stearns in his book Unfinished uh, said years ago when he said, there's no such thing as an ordinary follower of Christ with an ordinary life. Every one of us was made for more. And I think he's right. Jesus was saying, you're made for more, and I've come to let you get a taste of that. A life that is, what, an alternative to death. A life that transcends the temporal. A life that exceeds the ordinary. And it seems like maybe there's one more piece of what he meant when he gave the reason why he came. Jesus came to give a life that fulfills a purpose. Because the abundant life is a missional life. It's a life of calling. It's a life that's been summoned. It's a life that is called to press all the way and all the way to the ultimate purposes of God and join him in it. It's a life in which one is able to become what one was made for. Jesus came to offer a life that's consistent with one's created potential. It's as if Jesus is saying, I've come that you might live in your sweet spot. We're, we're allowed to do the work we were born to do. A life that is far more than successful. A life that's significant. A life that, I like this thought here, that's big enough to live for and expansive enough to die for. When we settle for less than the life Jesus came to offer, we then begin to live a life that's tinny and hollow and thin and superficial. Not strong enough to hold us together when life starts to break, break apart. This is the life that Jesus is offering that calls for a daring faith. It's a kind of life that keeps us on our knees. It's a kind of life that does extraordinary things because it's filled with extraordinary power. It's a life that's frontier versus suburban, traveler versus tourist. Look closely and you'll find that where Jesus went as he walked this earth, he offered it. So there's Nicodemus who's all about laws and structures and trying to impress Jesus. But Jesus tells him, Nicodemus, you really don't know life. And the Spirit of God moves where he wills, John chapter 3 tells the story. And he offers to Nicodemus this Pharisee of Pharisees, you can live far, far bigger. He then went to the woman in the well, at the well, and said the same thing. There is something living, there's something of life. This life here has sucked you dry but I'm giving you something where you'll never thirst again. I think of the paralytic in John 5 who chose to live in a four-by-eight world to be a victim. And Jesus said, you can live such a bigger life. I don't think he ever got it. Or John chapter 6 to the crowd, the consumers, that all they wanted from him was a meal ticket. And Jesus said, I have a meal for you. I have bread. It's called the bread of life. But even there, sadly, if you go back to that story, 
Jesus preaches this magnificent sermon about life. And at the end, they all left. Somehow, all they could see was the temporal. All they could see was the here and now, like a lot of people today. And they miss what Jesus offered. This is what we miss in the story if we're just thinking of the here and now. But Jesus came to offer something so much bigger. And in the end, those of us who find this life will find uh, our purpose, will find the reason for our existence. If, uh, if we think about the story of George Bell, I want to move to, when I can find it, another story to close with. It's a story that John Ortberg tells, the story of Mabel. Mabel was the complete opposite, the antithesis of George Bell. Mabel was this older woman who ran a small farm until sickness uh, made it so she could no longer operate in that farm. She was instead sent to a state-run uh, convalescent hospital. It was a place like so many that was understaffed and overwhelmed with senile and helpless people. When John Ortberg met her on Mother's Day, Mabel had been bedridden, blind, nearly deaf, and alone for 25 years. So John, on that day, being Mother's Day, gave her a flower. But she insisted on giving it to someone who could see. Here, she said, this is from Jesus. John visited Mabel often. He would come and read scriptures, but before he'd hardly begin a sentence, she knew how the sentence went because the scriptures were deep in her soul, in her heart. Sometimes John would sing uh, and introduce perhaps a hymn, but Mabel knew the lyrics. One day he asked Mabel, what do you think about as you lie in your bed or sit in your wheelchair? And she replied with these words. She said, I think of Jesus, and I think of how he has given me life, life to the full. What we think about here is that no matter our state, Mabel got it that we're made to live at another level created for a purpose that transcends the world. Now, the question is, have you found this life? But to find this life, you have to pursue it. It doesn't just come. Jesus said, I have come that you might have life, not you will have life. There's a choice. There's a decision here. If you're not finding this life, perhaps it's because it requires, first of all, we die to our present life. We die to ourself. We have to first get out of the way and live for God. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it, Jesus said. We'll have to get out of our sin habits because these are the things that deaden us. Sin always deadens. It kills. It kills the heart. It kills the spirit. To find this life, we will have to get out of the things that kill our souls, bitternesses and lusts and abusive anger. We'll have to separate ourselves from the voices 
that are committed, I think, especially today, to creating us ongoing resentment. And I have to tell you, it's killing us. It's just killing us. It's, it's what the enemy is up to. Jesus said, I've come that you might choose something far better. And then, as I mentioned, we'll have to pursue this life. It will be a lifelong pursuit. But I take it what Jesus is saying here, and this is why he came. And it's a great way to start Advent is because he came that if we get up each day and lay ourselves before God and say, here I am, God will breathe into us the life that he intends us to live. And that's our prayer and that's my hope. Lord, I pray, help us to live life, but not just live life, but find life to the full. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>